Hello, welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am your host, uh, Carlos Cooper, with me as always. Joe Hilliard. And Dave Gurney. And we are going to uh, drink a beer and talk about a movie in the first half of the episode. And um, as has been the norm in our like a new normal situation we uh were um our porches were blessed with a care package and so we have a beer by way of uh our beer purveyor at this point uh david so uh why don't you tell us which one this is it's a kind of like a weird style that i don't think i've ever seen before Right, yeah, it's it's one that you don't see a whole lot of. I've 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 had a few over the years, but but it never seems to have caught on as a style. The style that Carlos is referencing is the India Pale Lager. Uh, so you know, kind of a, a portmanteau there, I guess, bringing together lager with India Pale Ale because again, you're brewing as a lager base, but then hopping in the way that you would more uh, when you're going for an India Pale Ale. Um, I've, I've had a couple, I believe, uh, I'm going to say, uh, oh my gosh, the Sculpin makers. Why am I blanking? Who, who makes Sculpin? New ba- uh, Ballast Point. Ballast Point, yeah. Thank you. I, I think Ballast Point had one a few years back that I liked. There have been a couple others over the years. This one is from Real Ale. So I, I, I try to keep it local when I can, folks. And, and the great state of Texas, uh, I know we've had some Real Ale, Real Ale beer here on the podcast before. Um, but I but I love to revisit our Texas breweries, and this is their Wall Ball, which we've just started getting down here. I'm not sure how widespread this is going distribution-wise, but they stick to Texas, though, I think. Um, 5.8% alcohol volume. Um, it, on the can, it says Mad Hop, so I'm going to go ahead and I know Carlos already has his, his open. I'm going to open mine. I, I have to assume that Joe's already poured his. Mine is in the glass. I knew and, it. Uh, the first thing that I can tell you is that those hops are very forward on the nose. In a good way? In a, in a, in a fine way to me. I love a good hop. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So the movie that we're going to talk about is one that we have been talking about doing for a while. Um, it, If you are a regular listener of the podcast, you've heard us talk about it and um, more specifically talk about it in that it was really it had a release date and it got canceled and shelved and nobody knew it was going to happen with it. And then uh, it got a new like firmer release date where um, it was actually hitting theaters. It was happening. Um, And then the weekend it came out was the first weekend of stay at home orders and where the pandemic got like really serious um, and huge closures of movie theaters, uh, which, you know, as a movie that already had an uphill battle getting out, uh, that's, you know, it was unfortunate to see that happen to it. Um, But quickly, as is what's happening with a lot of movies, it is available for like first run on demand kind of thing and again if you listen to it we talked about it before a steep rental price of twenty dollars um which kylie and i put it on last night the movie i'm talking about is the hunt um but and i'll get to more specifics in a second but we put it on and she asked how much it was 
And I was like, oh, it's 20 bucks. It's kind of steep. And But then, you know, if we both went to the theater to see it, which we were going to do, I mean, it's the same price. And at the end of the day, if you're watching it in a, which you probably shouldn't be, but like if you're in a four person household, uh, as Joe is, right, there's four people living under the roof right now. There are or four, five. sometimes five. Sometimes five. Uh, so, I mean, if you if you watched it with the entire family, then that comes out to five bucks a ticket. So you're even getting away with the deal to a certain extent. If you look at it in different ways, I've gone on too long about the price of the thing. Um, but this is a film starring Betty Gilpin. Uh, mainly there's some Ike Barinholtz action in it. Emma Roberts, a, uh, a physically transformed Ethan Supley from the last time that I saw him on film. Uh, <laughs> Hillary Swank pops in at the end, produced by Jason Blum of Blumhouse Productions, who they now are have a very tried and true A plus track record of, uh, of 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 releasing horror movies. Now, this is the part that I want to point out before we even really get into plot or anything else. But it is co-written by uh, Nick Cuse, who I'm not familiar with, and Damon Lindelof. Now, that is a name that carries some weight with it at this point. I feel. Uh, due to um, his most recent work, which has been widely universally acclaimed HBO's Watchmen. Um, but, David, I'll let you say some things about it. Yeah, so I think you did a nice job introing um, some of the background here. I mean, this is a... It, it's funny how complicated this film has become, where it's kind of a simple satirical film in, in a certain sense, and so I'll get to maybe trying to summarize the plot here in a second but but i think all the things you just pointed to like the the cast the people behind it uh lindelhoff being really lindelhoff uh being really important here because yeah he's just come off um you know not just the watchman but the leftovers was critically lauded um when that was on yeah. hbo obviously his uh his past with lost so he, he's somebody who a lot of you know, maybe not even necessarily film fans, but but certainly television fans have have a strong kind of track record with whether you love them or hate them, because some people hate those shows. But but I, mean, um, I, I was a huge but, fan of Prometheus too, which was very divisive oh yeah, in its time. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um. But but here, you know, this film that they come up with this sort of premise, a riff on a film that we've done on the podcast already, the um, <laughs> the most dangerous game, right? The, the idea of hunting humans for sport. And so here you have the basic setup is humans being hunted for sport, but in this case it is wealthy, uh, powerful, liberal elites uh, picking up, you know, kidnapping, whatever, these um, mostly but but rural uh conservative types with various opinions very much rooted to the conservative and liberal stereotypes of our moment um and and they're those conservative ones are the ones being hunted so that that's a basic premise right and i mean again we're going to follow certain characters throughout and certain kind of stories develop out of that but um but that's the basic idea i think one of the things it does right off the bat that i i believe is designed to kind of shock people um, is killing off some recognizable faces really early on, right? It kind of, it comes out of the gate trying to almost upset you, right? Where Carlos was mentioning Ike Barinholtz, Ethan Supley, the uh, um, Emma, Roberts. Emma Roberts, 
yeah. these characters that seem like they're on the verge of being, okay, these are going to be the ones we're going to follow. We're going to start, you know, learning more and more about them. But just as you're getting to a point where you're getting a sense of what that character is, bang, gone. I mean, I mean, even with Emma Roberts, you get almost nothing out of her. I, I watch right. everything with subtitles on and her character is her character name is Yoga Pants. So they don't even bother giving her an actual name. Uh, and and uh, yeah, so it has this very kind of like psycho scream kind of approach to um, mm-hmm. like showing you people, giving you this expectation and then like pulling the rug out from under you as far as who you think is going to be a big player in the film, um, which is interesting. Um, other than, I mean, I don't know where do we want to start with this, Joe? I know you literally just finished watching it, so it's super fresh for you. Right. I uh, pushed back our recording 30 minutes so that I could watch the movie. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me to do that. Um, I, I, I want to say that uh, the, to the $20 price tag, I watched it alone and, you know, I, it, I could say I know why I did and I'm glad that I did and I'm glad to support a new release that whose box office would be decimated and slashed because of, of where we were. You know, the hunt was supposed to be, correct me if I'm wrong, the next episode before we had to go another route. Yeah, that's that's yeah. correct. So so it makes sense for us to close that that loop. And it's it's interesting too. I've noticed how Redbox and and the video on demand really, our options are so few because we've missed a whole segment of movies that have gone to new release. They're having to shuffle and figure out how we're going to maximize profits on these titles that have missed their opportunity to make money in the theater. Yeah. Uh, but I will say, go, go diving into this. Uh, I have a lot of the old, the. I enjoyed the plot. I enjoyed the pacing. I enjoyed a lot of opportunity there. But I'm reminded of a movie that does some of this a lot better that I know we all really enjoyed, and that is Ready or Not. You've mm-hmm. got your female protagonist. You've got uh, uh, someone who is unwitting to the rules of what's happening around them. There's, and then you've got a lot of great ultraviolence. And yeah. so th- that, that's where I'm drawing the comparison. I enjoy ultraviolence. I enjoy horror. I enjoy satire. I enjoy all of those things. But I feel like the main problem that I have with the film is the same problem I have. I, I solidified it while watching it with uh, Cabin in the Woods. I know I took some grief for that. And that is these over-the-top acting to induce comedy, where only shows to me that the plot isn't ripe with enough comedy. And so we're going to give the direction to the actors to to do theater here, play it, play it hard, play it loud. I'm reminded immediately of the shop owners, uh, the, uh, where they stumble into the manufactured uh, convenience store gas station. Yeah, uh, those two actors are the ones that that I was like, oh god, we're going this direction. But at the same time, the idea of of how they unfolded what was happening. And we don't, as the audience, know that these shop owners are are in on the game when we first meet them. And how that unrolls, there's a lot of clever there. There's a lot of interesting there. Uh, I'll let somebody else talk for a little while. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Joe. I think this is a film that a lot of the ingredients are ones that I'm I'm excited to, to see put together. Like, I, I like satire. Um, I do like films occasionally that have ex- extreme violence or, you know, th- I mean, that that is something that, that I go to certain films for. So the idea of this kind of, 
you know, David, hey, David, David, oh. John, John Wick leaps to mind. The three of us love those movies and love all of the violence and gunplay. Yeah, and knife- yeah, that that's true. I, I guess I put this in a slightly different category because I knew going in it was going to be more conceptual with the satire, right? Like there's a very sort of overt thing. And I think it if it is sort of guilty of anything, it's that it gets so caught up in the cleverness of its basic concept. Let's turn the tables. Instead of the gun-toting Republicans being the ones who are out hunting and, and killing and, and being, let's put that on the liberals. And, the, and then everybody can, we can kind of level the playing field. Let's show you how liberals are just as um, bad in their sort of, uh, the way that they're uh, so tied to their doctrine and everything and that they can hate these other people and sort of, um, you know, turn them into unhuman things that they can just go on, right? Um, they, I think they were so caught up in that concept, they forgot that they would have to develop any kind of characters that anybody would want to go with. And what you were saying about, you know, these characters that most of them don't stay around for long. The only one that does really get any true, you know, a, a crew, a, a crew's much screen time is Betty Gilpin and Hillary Swank to some extent, their characters. And they're great actresses, and and I'm and I'm always happy to see them. And it's and I don't think it's them failing in the task. I think it's just the script wasn't there. I don't think there was anything for those characters to be built upon other than this concept. And I think it was so impressed with its own concept that they thought it, they could get away without ever, ever having to build the characters. That, that's my take. I would yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, you get some like excitement from seeing Glenn Howerton outside of it's always sunny in philadelphia and that's like a fun little treat or whatever but he doesn't have it there's no depth to him there's no depth to really any of those liberal characters same with you know most of the uh deplorables as well um you're totally spot on that betty gilpin has the most depth of character and i think she's really great in this like i really I was I was introduced to her from Glow. I know she was on Nurse Jackie before that, which is probably where a lot of people have first seen her in, in a notable way. But I thought she was really great in it, and like I really liked her character and her performance. Um, and I think she handles a lot of like the physicality of like the action sequences well. Um, yeah, Hillary Swank also gets a decent amount of uh, screen time um, or character development. Not, she's not on screen a lot, but she's present in the narrative enough that you kind of develop kind of some kind of sense of who she is i personally don't care for hillary swank uh in general but i found her uh decent no boys don't cry no no there's almost nothing that i enjoy hillary swank uh but she was pretty decent in this because she's not supposed to really be that likable or whatever so it kind of works for me uh same with well, uh, it, it also tears down the till the hillary swankedness of her carlos i'm i'm on I'm, a, I'm on your train yeah with with hillary swank in this movie she, she interestingly she's the most human she's been because the character that she likes to put on her face and her mug when she's acting really largely goes away that because yeah, uh, you don't I'll, see her I'll, that much I'll go right back to you. I, I would say that if this was a four dollar rental, I would the, the the fight between the two ladies at the end would have been worth four bucks. Yeah, I mean, if, if this ever goes on like just general Netflix streaming, like I go back to it as like a fun midnight romp kind of situation. Um, but the issue that I have with this, um, 
I'd like to backtrack a little bit and uh, just just again reiterate how wrong you are about Cabin in the Woods. And I would like to say that my issue with it um, is can also be compared to a past film that we've done, um, which is Marriage Story. That was a movie that I felt like lacked a clear point of view and but was delving into topics that you would think they should have a point of view on or it should be trying to say something about it and i think that this movie had a lot of like trying to have its cake and eat it too kind of with the ideology that it was like trying to represent or whatever it seemed like a movie that should have a point to it and it kind of really i mean the only thing that it's you can extract from it is like that like polarizing political opinions are bad no matter what side of the spectrum you're on which is like come on like duh you know that's not really you're not giving me any interesting kind of take on the situation no i i'm not looking at it from a different perspective than i would have before or anything like that it's kind of just like we're going to try to make something topical and quote unquote controversial to put butts in seats uh, but at the end of the day, it really is as like deep as like some exploit film like Slumber Party Massacre, like any of those kind of old B horror movies that are you know just there for the the kills and the you know whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean at the at the end of the day, it was a little disappointing, um, but it was still kind of fun. Like I I thought there were some some nice moments in it and uh the action was good and uh, but yeah a little disappointing it was fun i'll give you that but your criticism of the ability for it to really drive a point home is spot on carlos i felt that it's a big missed opportunity and maybe we're still too close to the subject matter at hand for that that great satire of where we are right now, the polarization of America, the team sports of politics, it's just red versus blue, doesn't even matter which side of that aisle you're on, in my opinion, you're probably part of the problem in that we listen to the words that we're supposed to say to win the argument and take them as far as we need to to win. There's a great movie in the future about exactly where we are right now with that civil war that maybe coronavirus stemmed off from us that we're headed <laughs> that we were headed toward, uh, but maybe not because I see a lot of those things coming right back into play. That movie, I can't wait for it to come out when it does a really good job. This movie wasn't it. I also, and David, I want to hear your last thoughts too, but is this a ultra gore movie or is this a political satire movie or, and I think that you, this movie splits the audience. It reminds me a lot of the, um, Seth Rogen, James Franco, Korea film, please help me. The interview? Yeah, did you remember how controversial it was and then mm -hmm. you saw it and realized that the movie didn't deserve the contra the, the con controversy, I'll say that the the foreign way. Controversy that it got. I feel like all that controversy about the hunt that even our president contributed to was completely off base once you finally watched the movie. Oh yeah, he hates it, but I don't understand really why. Yeah. That's so overblown. And yeah. it was just based on, you know, rumors about it based, you know, looking at just the trailer. I mean, it, it, there, there wasn't 
much there to begin with in terms of and it was in some ways i mean it it could have worked out well for this film that it was getting that kind of buzz and i they were certainly marketing it that way coming out right the the tagline on the poster the most talked about movie of the year is one that no one's actually seen right you know um i it would have been interesting to see what would have happened had theaters not been under the cloud that they were that weekend when it came out that really is such a weird fate for this film i mean I, the, carlos's intro was a good one and i think if this is of interest to me in any way in the future it's going to be that as as this film that marks a certain moment i guess maybe in terms of politics but but more in terms of you know just society and and sort of some of the pressures here with this pandemic but my gosh you're both right. I mean, this is such a missed opportunity to make some kind of interesting commentary. It goes for this big, broad point. And I think Joe said this, um, and or and I apologize if it was you, Carlos, but the idea that, you know, if we just show both sides as being so polarized and so extreme that we make this basic point that, oh, we should meet somewhere between. I mean, that's the most that you could take away from this film is it's kind of satirical you know, bottom line. And that's not enough. I mean, if you're gonna play with actual positions and stuff and characters that are holding certain ideas that are present in our current society, well, then you need to find interesting ways to make humor out of the nuances of it. If you're going to go the other way and make it about some alien society with other issues or whatever, you know, like an idiocracy or something and set it in a future time or whatever, you can get away with some more broad stuff and and, and the silliness of it. And But I, I just think it missed the balance. It didn't develop the characters. It missed opportunity. I, I can't. You both are being more generous with it than I I. I can say I will never watch this film again. I, I mean, it just—it'll never be worth my time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Coming on HBO late at night, I know there's something else I could watch that would be even better. Like perhaps the film we're going to talk about in the second half of this episode. Before we get to the beer, the second film okay. we're going to discuss is a humans hunting humans film. But we started it first. The first time we did that, you're right. You mentioned it earlier, David. The most dangerous game. That was back in episode 55. If you'd like to hear our take on that. And did you know that this is the first real ale brewing company beer that we've ever enjoyed on the show? Is that right? That's, that's, a, that's a crime. I'm glad we're fixing it right now. Yeah, real, a, real ale is a critical, maybe first or second stone in the path that was my path into craft beer. I, I hold a huge place in my heart for real ale out of Blanco, Texas. Blanco, Texas. It was the first proper brewery that I'd gone on a tour on purpose to go Check out how they made the Devil's Backbone, a delicious triple that I still enjoy. But uh, this India Pale Lager, what interesting surprise! Thanks for bringing it to the party, David. And just before we get to the analysis of the beer, I had like one one more point that I wanted to make, and that I think oh, that God, uh, that that segue was incredible. It Carlos. was it was so good. But I'm taking it back. <laughs> oh. um, okay, do you know how? Like a lot of times people will talk about like comedy and like the most like successful comedians or like the best comics are just like really brutally honest and like raw and say things that other people wouldn't say. And that's why it's funny to us and stuff like that. I think that that is that that type of approach could have made this movie better, but they didn't have the 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 gall to really go there they were trying to like go there while also 
you know, being on the fence and trying not to like be too polarizing one way or the other. And uh, that it just wasn't going to work for this kind of thing. Well, well you're right. Cause the movie wouldn't work if one side, the elite liberals or the deplorables, which are supposed to be a, a, a hodgepodge of the deplorables that were mentioned in a speech by Hillary Clinton. If one of them won, that wouldn't have been the point of the movie. So, no. so you, you, you had to have the scene on the end, I guess, I guess I, yeah. when Hillary Swank realizes that she was even going after the wrong actual person, that the crystal was not even supposed to be in the game. Yeah, is that the, the, the wrong, crystal. is that the hard point we're driving home? Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's, yeah. a it's, it's a mess. I, it's, I, I think we, I think we uh, yeah, diagnosed this one accurately. Well, it's guys, a, I don't know mess. if you know this. I don't know if you know this or not, but this is the first time we've had real ale on the show. <laughs> and real ale for me. Brought it back. I, uh, I like this beer quite a bit. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. It's a really nice, uh, easy drinking beer. I mean, it does, it has the hops that it, it, it deserves the India designation, right? We, yeah, we need does. to think of this as a beer that can last over a long voyage. I would think it has a hop level appropriate for that. Um, the, the lager body of it, it is, you know, a bit, um, cleaner in a certain sense or lighter than your tip IPA, I think. And I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, overall I like it. I, I don't necessarily love it to the extent that I'm going to be buying this on the regular, but I'll definitely go back to it. It, it was really good. A total ditto, David. I don't know if I'm eager to rush over to our package store to buy another six-pack, but uh, it'll probably get in my refrigerator again. And uh, I'm going to try almost anything that Real Ale tries for aforementioned reasons. I would say that I would buy this again. Not, I'm not going to rush over there tomorrow at 10 a.m. when they open, but like next time I go to stock up and I'm not sure what I want to get. I'll this tell you what, be I be at the top of my top of my list uh, as as fallbacks if I don't find anything like new that's really got me going. Or I'm, I'm sure you guys have uh, some drinking friends, folks that will gather for a beer and you know their tastes. I would almost keep a six pack of I this. I do a to... podcast with two of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would almost keep a six pack of this in my refrigerator to let people try. Folks that say I don't like an IPA, do y'all do y'all have those friends like the anti IPA friends? Yeah, and but that might prefer a lager. Let's just check out the blending of these two uh, uh, styles. That might be fun, and that was the fun part for me was to see real ale play with this these styles like that. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I definitely I definitely have a friend that if he's over at the house and he asks if I have if, uh, if I have any beer, he says, but nothing like weird or. Like, <laughs> right <laughs> whatever so uh, what would be a go-to beer for a person like that nothing too weird well the last time i gave him fresh kicks uh and he seems like a, right. a, a hazy ipa from real ale as well right yeah uh a pretty yeah. good one um that was i think the hazy ipas are a little more bearable for someone like that but you you know when he comes over he brings like PBR Tall Boys or like Lone Star Light or whatever. I, I can know. only imagine that when when David's hosting a beer tasting at his house, he relishes the idea of being host and trying to pair <laughs> pair beers with his guests that say, "I do like this, I don't like that." I love 
I love trying new things myself. I love getting other people to try new things for sure. If, if you know, I have people over and, and their game, I'm, I'm going to offer them things. And uh, yeah, based on what they've liked in the past or, or maybe based on what they haven't liked, if I think I can give them something that's a little bit of a variation on that, that, that may appeal to them more. That's exciting. Yeah, it's it's really cool when you convert somebody too. you know, occasionally when you get somebody who's, oh, I didn't realize beer did this. Or, you know, a lot yeah. of times with something like an imperial stout, one of those pastry stouts or a, something big that people just if you're not into beer, you're not going to just find those on your shelf normally. And so you're not going to stumble upon them. You're going to think of beer as a pretty standard kind of the adjunct lager that you see on most shelves. And uh, and so, hey, something that's like dessert in a glass, that's another option, right? That's more like a dessert wine or something. I could have this with a cheese plate. And yes, you can have that with a cheese plate. I don't know if that <laughs> made your Dinner Table Talks episode on cheese plates or not. <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, that, that peach sour that you uh, brought over and, and gifted to my family, that was a perfect breakfast beer this morning, David. Thank you. That was actually the last time that my friend was over. I gave him a fresh kicks, and then I gave him that peach one, and he liked the peach one as well. It's but, really good. Yeah. Uh, the Sunday recordings of Beer in a Movie have become uh, beer orgies over here at the uh, Casa <laughs> de Jehad. So, yeah. Hey, we're back! <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, uh, that's a perfect segue off to our second half. All uh, right. So... Uh, Good beer, okay movie, uh, but when we return, we are going to uh, get into a different movie, maybe a better one. I don't know. We'll see what we all think about it. Not gonna, uh, no spoilers, and uh, another beer as well. When we return. <laughs> We are doing a very fun episode um, that consists of, as I'm as I'm sure our, our regular listeners know, we live in a reasonably sized town, not a big town, not a super small one either. So we get some stuff, but we don't get everything that theaters like the Draft House advertise. And sometimes it's only one-off screenings of things. So seeing certain films can get difficult for us. Um, and there are a couple of movies over the last couple of years. Um, uh, that we have missed that are now available to stream uh, specifically on Hulu. So our next episode is going to be, so we're going to do another installment of movies we missed in theaters. We did this once before, I think. Um, I think maybe Beach Bum was one of, no, Beach Bum wasn't, was it? I think, Be anyway, I'll edit that out. Um, so we're going to do Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, which came out in 2019, I believe. And then we are going to do Vox Lux starring Natalie Portman, um, which came out in 2018, both of which didn't make it to theaters in our town, but are available to stream on Hulu. So if you want to watch those movies before next week's episode, you now have the time and resources to do so. Um, cash in a Hulu seven-day free trial if you want, if you don't have it. Um, and then make a new email and cash in another one. Just kidding. I don't openly endorse that. Uh, Hulu, please don't I'm, yell at me. I'm going <laughs> to... 
I'm going to start Hulu to watch these films, Carlos. You made me so excited. And I was, you know, we were talking about this right before we started recording and looking through some of the films. There's some pretty solid shit on there. Borders on there, which we did an episode on a while back. That was another one that was a one night screening, I believe, um, that we had to like really prioritize to get to go see. I think, David, didn't you and I do that episode solo? Just us two? I think it was just the two of us, yeah, because yeah. we were able to make it. Yep. And that was that was a pretty crazy one. So the, uh, there's definitely we posted about it before this episode came out, but Beach Bum is up there. Um, there's a lot of good stuff uh, in their movie section that I didn't realize until today. So go check that out. But enough of that. On to the beer. This is that's a, right. David, do you want to intro this beer? Sure. Yeah. So so this is one uh, that. I don't know if we've had uh, Joe. You probably do, but uh, have we had Great Notion before? I feel like we have. It's two first timers on the episode Jeez. this week, David. All right, I'm this. I know we've had these together, but this is a great, great brewery um, out of uh, Oregon. Uh, they are making some of the finest beer in the nation these days. Uh, great Notion Brewing out of Portland. This is an milkshake IPA that they do. It is called. Passion fruit mochi, mochi, mochi. I, I should mochi. know this. Yeah, um, India pale ale with passion fruit and vanilla. Um, got great can art. They they have a very consistent. They must have an artist that does all of their can art. I love it. Uh, these illustrations um, that they do for them. But this is seven percent alcohol, uh, milkshake IPA. I have a feeling we're gonna like this one. So I'll just spoil it that way. But I'm gonna go go ahead and get this in my glass. We've had seven beers from Oregon. David, this is our eighth, but never great notion prior. And this, I I don't want to speak for David, but uh, in one of the uh, Facebook like beer groups that we're a part of, somebody had posted a great notion uh, beer that they were drinking. I think it was a guy from Laredo um, that we virtually are familiar with, but um, I commented on it like, damn, I need a great notion plug. And then I think it was the next day. David dropped this off. Uh, so that was asking ye shall receive, I suppose. Oh, aren't we all learning about the power of manifestation and coronavirus? <laughs> sure, I guess. Been reading this, I I've been beers. rereading The Secret. <laughs> I need beers, and then David Gurney shows up. Uh, but the movie that we're talking about is uh, somewhat similar in a plot, content, kind of, at least idea to the hunt um, about people hunting and killing other people. And it is the 2000 uh, Japanese horror thriller um, movie Battle Royale. This is a movie that until today <laughs> I had never seen, um, but it was, oh, was that right? familiar with the legend of it. Um, I knew it by its notoriety, its name, but not by, uh, you know, I had never actually watched it before. Um, but the premise is, okay. Okay. Actually, I'm going to ask you guys a question because there it's, it's a Japanese film. It's in Japanese and you know, I watched it subtitled. Um, but sometimes there can be some things that get like maybe lost in translation, like cultural understandings that maybe like I'm not familiar with or cultural norms and stuff. So, what I gathered was that some something 
unfortunate is happening in Japan and they're no longer a great nation and are kind of crumbling in their infrastructure or something like that. And for some reason, and it didn't really stick with me why, and at a certain, uh, probably about 10 or 15 minutes in, I was like, this isn't really important. I just need to go with this. But what I missed was why this Battle Royale act was passed. Like what sparked the totalitarian Japanese government to institute this practice? How how had they evolved to this point? Yeah, I kind of missed the reasoning why such a thing would be taking place. David, do you have an answer for me? Yeah, this is a sort of spiritual sequel to The Running Man. We should have done that film. It would have explained everything. (laughs) No, I'm going to watch it tonight. Yeah, I think I think it just uh, it drops you there because it feels like okay, you get it in dystopian futures, uh, in in dystopian not too distant futures, we go to gamesmanship to uh, killing each other. I mean, it's just at the this Hunger point games. we can just we can throw that out there. Now. Yeah, yeah. But this was pre Hunger Games. No, you're right. It is funny that it just kind of thrusts you in, without doing any sort of attempt at explaining or even as the film goes on, the yeah. characters explaining to each other like doing that kind of exposition work yeah yeah so you know as i stated at a certain point i just didn't give a shit and was just like that's not really that important what's important is that it's happening and like the social dynamics that play out within the different characters and like you know the use relationship with the adults and uh all of that kind of stuff but um to really surmise the whole thing, so this Battle Royale Act has been passed, and every year a group of like, you know, 14, 15 year olds are dropped on an island somewhere, and they have three days to kill each other, and the last person standing wins the Battle Royale. But if more than one person is left standing at the end of it, then they all die and nobody wins. You don't get a prize for it. You just get to keep living uh, with all the post-traumatic stress of having killed all of your friends and classmates. Uh, But yeah, so that's the plot. And they let him loose and they give him a bag that has food, water, a map, a compass, and a random weapon. Sometimes it's a gun. Sometimes it's a fucking pair of binoculars or like uh, the like lid to a pot or whatever. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, obviously, like, chaos ensues after that. Um, And there's a couple of plants in there, quote-unquote, transfer students. Um, But it is ultra-violence at its finest, I think. I mean, it really goes there in terms of the kills and the suspense. Um, And just to finish off my uh, previous point about some, like, cultural things that get... Uh, either lost or somewhat difficult to track it took me a while to realize that some of the characters would be referred to by two different names uh and it was a little confusing for a while like uh the first and last names that at different points are used interchangeably uh so it took me a a bit to kind of figure out what was going on with that but eventually i locked in and you understand you know you figure out who the core most important people are that you're going to be following. But the anyway. uh, the other thing, uh, Carlos, that they have is a necklace uh, uh, that they oh, can't yes. take off around their neck. And then it is explained to them in the rules given to them that they, that certain, uh, that if we put this island that you're trapped on onto a grid, certain squares of land, you are not allowed to be in them at certain points of the day, bringing everyone back into a place where the game can end. And then if you're in that sector, when the timer goes off, this is a bomb and 
your head explodes or, or your neck, whatever, you die. Yeah. And they, they show how effective it is at the very beginning of the film so that we as the audience and them as the players understand that th all of the rules are in place for there to be a winner at the end of the game. All of your previous relationships, this is a, a class that you likely have grown up with since first grade. Now you're in eighth grade, ninth grade, whatever it is. And you, those relationships don't matter. Romance previous doesn't matter because at the end of the day, we're all going to die unless one person has killed everybody or rather one person is left living at the end of the game. The, the rules are so efficient and complete that you kind of believe you know where the story is headed. Yeah, and I think it's that belief that you understand where the story is headed is one of the things that makes this film like work so well is it really does as as opposed to the the film that we discussed in the first half of this half of this episode there is some really strong character development that takes place um not just in terms of like building character depth and backstory and stuff like that but also in terms of like building up a character to be one thing and then subverting that expectation of certain characters with maybe a more troubled backstory than we expected. Like there's one character in particular who is like the prototypical, like mean girl. And she just starts like slicing and dicing people left and right. And then you find out that she has this very like traumatic past where like, you know, terrible things have happened to her and kind of informs like maybe some of her meanness and guardedness and stuff. And so then a character that normally you were like, Oh, this girl's a raging bitch and is like mean as shit to everybody. And like, uh, you know, lock Naroki in a fucking bathroom and said, you're ugly die, uh, has like, has had terrible shit happen to her. Uh, and so it kind of, you know, subverts that expectation a little bit and humanizes her after already building her up to be some other thing. Um, and there's a lot of really good character work that goes on with that kind of stuff. Um, so it's not just all thrills and kills and ultra violence. There's a lot more going on. The social dynamics at play are very interesting and, um, it, it does a lot of things really, really well that a movie of this particular subject matter and genre could really kind of get lost in or go by the wayside in favor of just, you know, the thrills and kills and gore and stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think uh, what you just said, I, I would echo and, and agree with wholeheartedly. I think it's a perfect illustration in watching this with the hunt. It just reinforced for me how it because I watched the hunt first um, or, you know, I rewatched Battle Royale after having watched the hunt and watching the hunt. I had all those feelings that I expressed in the first half of the episode. And then to watch this where, yes, this is satire of a sort. Yes, this is definitely social commentary. Yes, this is definitely an exaggerated sort of um, and in some ways to an absurd level, right? I mean, I think especially with kind of the levels of violence that you see, like it's believable that people start killing each other, but are they going to really relish the kill as much? It's as much a melodrama as it is an action film. You know, I, I it's what I like about this movie so much. You know, we had talked about doing this movie off and on for the last couple of months. So at some point I sat my 14-year-old daughter down just to watch it because I knew that she had been a fan, a young girl fan of Hunger Games. And this movie, I mean, Hunger Games is such a ripoff of this movie. This, this movie came out in 2000. Do you know what year Survivor came out? You know, the television show Survivor? 2000. 
I mean, that's an that's an interesting coincidence because uh, yes, it's a silly game show, but the concept is the same. One person stands on an island at the end of the of the series, at the end of the season. Um, what this movie does that the hunt I think failed at is just offering characters that are real. Um, the students here, yes, they're child actors, they're young actors, but it's not presented in any kind of over the top way, a silly way. I am, I could be killed on this island at any time. And once that action starts with the head blowing up in the, in the room, they start distributing the packs to all of the students and you get out the door, the game starts in however long the game starts in. And as soon as the game starts, people are dying and you realize the urgency of needing to participate in this game or die. That lack of, there's no silliness in this movie. You know, and the hunt, I think, took it to a we also need to be a funny comedy. So let's act over the top and and silly. And that's where that movie lost me. But where this movie, I, I am immersed in it uh, the moment that I saw it. And it does get a 14 year old girl a uh, big, big thumbs, double thumbs up. Uh, she she even said, when did the Hunger Games come out? Because this is exactly <laughs> like the Hunger Games. You know, so, <laughs> again, uh, filmmaking production class going on at our stay at home time <laughs> that's cool I, you know i i do i do find some comedy in the film i don't think it's a strong i don't think it's anywhere near the kind of pervasive level that it is in the hunt i mean the hunt that is a commanding presence that it's obviously trying to make humor out of the situations over and over again this one it comes in more like again especially in the teacher character i think the way he's so sadistic and strange although then he gets humanized a little bit in in various ways uh yeah i mean i think i think that there is some kind of comedy to it and i i i think that there are some moments that are over the top enough that it's kind of like oh yeah you know that's kind of crazy and whatnot um but i would agree it didn't try as hard for that as the hunt did the hunt was kind of going for it a little bit more um you know to varying degrees of success i suppose but yeah i mean you know i guess this is really um kind of the benchmark as far as like 21st century you know battle royale style movie i mean we call them battle royale style movies for a reason. And the, the, the term battle royale basically comes from this film, uh, in terms of like entering the lexicon of pop culture and stuff. Uh, and there's a reason for that. It is very, very well done and it is a very well executed film. Um, I mean, I don't know how much more can be said about the movie other than that. I, I think I got turned on to this movie when Quentin Tarantino said in some famous interview that it was one of his favorites. And yeah, that's, why, yeah. I think, why I went to go watch it whenever I did many, many years ago. I've seen this movie five, six times. Yeah, he's, And I'm he's, so glad we got to do it on the podcast. He said it was um, like the best movie he'd seen in like 20 years or something like that. And he very clearly um, took the Kill Bill outfit from this film. Uh when I saw the girl running in the tracksuit, I instantly was like, oh, yeah, that's where he got Uma Thurman's costuming 
for Kill Bill, 100% clear as day. Which, like, not that that's a big shock. You can usually pinpoint Tarantino's points of inspiration and uh, references that he's making pretty easily. He's not shy about it. He'll even tell you exactly where he got certain things from. Uh, but yeah, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, Kill Bill. I get it. But... Yeah, I think the the interesting thing uh, w- with all of this is, you know, this film has such a weird past with especially American distribution. It didn't even officially come over here until 2012, uh, in part because it was thought that the, you know, no distributors wanted to really touch it and try to deal with um, the level of violence and especially with minors or, or perceived minors in the film. Uh, there, there was a squeamishness around it. So it, it was sort of a notorious film back in the 2000s where, yeah, you can't even legally get this in the States or nobody is distributing it here. And so all you could get were like import DVD copies. I can't remember um, what, what countries they were coming in from, but I, I do remember. However, I initially saw it, it was clearly a DVD meant for another foreign market that happened to have English subtitles. Yeah, put Battle Royale on your list if you haven't seen it. I think we all agree on that. It's a, it's a important film, especially the year that it came out, 2000, the violence, the post-Columbine take on youth violence, and um, the idea that, you know, I, I mentioned John Wick earlier in the episode. I'll mention again, we like our ultraviolence, but we like it done well, and Battle Royale certainly does. Yeah, I actually didn't even, because it's... A Japanese film and not American. I didn't even think about contextualizing it against Columbine, uh, which happened a year before. Uh, well, so that was it. Was the whole? It, it was a thing. It could not get an American distribution. Oh uh, yeah, no. I nope. mean that makes total sense. Um, yeah, no one wanted to touch it. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, speaking of uh, things that should be on your list, I'll say Great Notion Brewery should be at the top of your beer list as far well, as things you should search out. Well, David, you brought the beer. Great notion. You heard me whispering to my uh, fiance who came to get a sip earlier. They're one of those beer. They're one of those breweries that people seek after. Absolutely, yeah. They, they're they're very sought after, and I mean, especially they're doing these great juicy milkshake IPAs. Um, they're they're doing some great stouts. I mean, everything I've had from them has been really good quality, and this one is no exception. I mean, the nose on it before I even started drinking it. I mean, we were kind of already into talking about it, and I had myself muted, but I was like, I was making sounds at how excited I was at you just were, uh, the aroma of this beer. You were heart reacting to it. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that was the way I tried to express it to you, to you both. But yeah, yeah, just the aroma on this is worth the price of admission. The, the sipping I've been doing ever since. I mean, if I will say, if anything, if I have any criticism about it, it's a little on the sweet side for me that I am nearing the end of this, and I'm I'm feeling like I don't necessarily want to jump into another can. But all the vanilla passion fruit goodness of the front half um, was was exceptional. I would definitely say this is one that I would want to split with people more than I would want to just down for 16 ounces myself. Well, let me read this one-sentence synopsis on the side of the can. Passion fruit mochi is a mochi-inspired IPA fermented with toasted rice, milk sugar, vanilla, and passion fruit. You're right, David. It is a little sweet. But that only means that it's just not one of those, a term we throw around a lot on the episode on the podcast, crushable beers. 
let me drink four of these in a row. But no, every once in a while you crave a 16-ouncer, maybe a crowler that is got that does have a profile that is outside of what you can crush, but certainly inside of what you can enjoy. And this passion fruit mochi, my God, this beer is delicious. This beer is incredible and great notion. I want more of what you've got. Yeah, 100%. I've been, I've been seeking out their uh, double stack uh, stout for a long time. It's like a pancake stout, uh, maple, whatnot. Um, uh, I've been after that one for a while. I haven't got my hands on it yet. Um, but yes, their stouts are definitely still top of my list as far as things that I need in my life. Uh, but yeah, this one's great. I agree. It's a little on the sweet side. Um, not sessionable, but, uh, every now and then you need something like this. It's a little outside of the box. You know, you can't watch rom-coms all day long. You know, you gotta inject some, something with a little more pizzazz, uh, like Sahara <laughs> into your viewing schedule <laughs> sometimes. Uh, and this is, this is that, this is the Sahara <laughs> determined that this, this trend is, uh, th- this motif is not leaving the, the series. All right. Well, good. I'm sorry. The, it was just, it, oh, it just happened organically. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I will, I, I will I say it. this, David, and maybe you can wrap it up on this beer. The nose is incredible. It smells so good. It, it reminds me, sometimes you have these like memory memories, like this reminds me of walking through like a great, like your grandparents, like uh, the orchard that they might've had. I mean, this beer is pure country. <laughs> oh, Jesus oh, Christ. Man. Okay. This, this episode is devolving into some of the worst. It's getting out of hand. Uh, that, that I've ever heard. No, I, <laughs> I, but I, I do think it is an evocative nose. I just don't know if it would lead me to George Strait. <laughs> no, definitely not for me, yeah. uh, but to each their own. That's right. But, you know, at the end of the day, we had, uh, you know, some good beers and we watched, you know, movies of varying degrees of quality. Um, but if you have seen any of these movies or if you've had anything from Real Ale or Great Notion or even the specific beers that we talked about, let us know what you think about them. You can find us on Twitter at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer and a Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer and Movie TX, Beer and Movie Podcast.com is our home base. You can find a link to listen to all of our past episodes absolutely free. Uh, a lot of good catching up to do if you haven't seen some of those movies since we're all stuck at home. Um, you can use, use that as a playlist for movies that you need to watch, a cue, if you will. Um, but yeah, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff really helps us out a lot. You already know the deal. Uh, and, you know, always let us know what you uh, what kind of episodes you want to see us do or things you want to hear us talk about because especially in this time we have been going to the listeners uh, quite a bit for pairing recommendations themed episode recommendations in fact battle royale was exactly that i think we put out a couple of options for what to pair with the hunt and it was you know not unanimous but a large majority were like battle royale battle royale so that was what we did um asking carlos, you shall receive carlos, as i said carlos let's not let the sheer glee of watching and talking about the running man <laughs> fall too far off of the page I'm while watching we continue to while we continue to stay at home and create these episodes. Yeah. I'm thinking like a pairing with a horrible the worst of the 80s Stallone films. You follow yeah. me? There were 
there were no two larger money makers at that time at the box office than Stallone and Schwarzenegger. And the idea of watching The Running Man it just tickles. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll find a way to get it in at some point. Maybe we'll do an action 80s power hour or something. Exactly. Uh, You've already named the episode, yeah, Carlos. Let's go. Is. There it is. This has been another episode of Beer in a Movie. We've had a great time. Uh, but until next time. Life is a game, so fight for survival and find out if you're worth it. Thank you.